our first podcast is on arts and impact investing. Impact investing in the arts has a long history. Um, in the 1970s, the Ford Foundation was a pioneer investing a million dollars in Studio Museum in Harlem as interim funding to launch a new program in arts and culture. Um, we're going to be talking today with Andrea Nemton, who is the CEO of InSpirit Foundation, and Oksana Orakeva, who is the CEO of Patanen Foundation. And both institutions have been using arts as a way of creating change and economic development. InSpirit has invested in ArtSpace Young Space, a project to help promote social inclusion. And ArtSpace is done in partnership with InSpirit and public and private co-investors, investing in real estate projects that provide cooperative and affordable living and working arrangements for artists. It's an opportunity, again, to combine private development, community, and philanthropic interests. In Russia, the Vladimir Patanin Foundation, while not formally doing impact investing, is investing in museums which are in turn spearheading new social enterprises and new business development models countrywide, and just as important, fostering a new generation of critical and creative thinkers. So increasingly, funders and investors are realizing that arts and impact investing bridges finance, policy, and social change. So with that, again, I'd like to introduce Andrea and Oksana, who will talk about their programs. So thank you both for joining this conversation, and, and we want to really focus on the value of arts and impact investing, and as we know, that's unusual twist, right? So I'd really love to hear from you in terms of what's, why arts is important, for, but first talk about your mission, how you're incorporating arts and culture into your mission. So Aksani, you want to go first? Uh, our mission is to support those individuals who are creative, professional, who are talented, and who want to change the society, who want to change life around them. So they're active and proactive. And arts fits very well in our mission, because arts uh, and culture is something that helps people to release creativity and uh, proactive approach, to help to become more, um, to develop critical thinking, to uh, support new opportunities and new way to look on what we already know. So we believe that our mission is very well related to our cultural programs and they are building a stronger society uh, in Russia today. That's fantastic. Thanks. So at Inspira Foundation, we're focused on creating more pluralist and inclusive society in Canada, and we focus specifically on 18 to 30-year-olds. So pluralism for us is a, a positive approach to diversity, and an inclusive society is really a society where everyone has equal opportunity to benefit from and participate in the economic, social, and political activities, regardless of mm -hmm. race, culture, ethnicity. Uh, other elements of identity. So for us, we found that we've streamed arts throughout all of our programming. Through our granting, we have a media impact uh, area of work, and then in, through our impact investing. And we've done that um, for a number of reasons. We know that when people are able to tell their stories, that they have a personal increase in self-esteem, 
uh, the resilience is higher, and they have a greater sense of belonging in the community when they feel heard. We also know that they uh, have a better sense of themselves when they see themselves reflected in the media. They feel, feel like they are in a place where they belong. We know that consuming other people's stories creates understanding and empathy in a way that other things can't. Um, and we know that what we've seen and what we've learned is that by investing in artists, and, uh, you're actually creating a social infrastructure in communities that creates a more vibrant community. Lastly, by uh, working in the media with, with different messages around inclusion, around diversity, around change, we're actually affecting the dominant narratives. And by that, we can create the social structure, the social change, the really big changes in attitudes that are required for our, our society to thrive. That's great. So, Oksana, in terms of the arts program, when you launched the arts, you know, describe a little bit more about why that was important um, early on in your development of your foundation, and talk about those experiences that you've had, who you invest in, why you invest in, so your, your strategy of investment. Uh, we started supporting arts and culture from the very beginning. So when the foundation was uh, set up more than 15 years ago, we decided that we were going to support arts and culture. And uh, we decided, again, not to support the artistic work itself. For example, if it comes to the museums, it's not about restoration or if it comes about heritage, it's also not about restoration of old buildings. But we support uh, different projects related to arts and culture, but at the same time uh, looking at arts and culture from a different perspective. For example, uh, when museums create new educational programs so people know more about their history, about their past, and look in a different way for the future, or it's a new type of exhibition and people like to come back to the museum, not to visit it once in their lives if they stay in the same place of living. So again, new techniques, new methodology, new uh, visual uh, implementation of history. So it's more about the way how, we support, how arts and culture are presented and um, discussed than artistic work as such. At the same time, this approach allows us to support appearance of new museums, new institutions, for example, when it comes from the below and, and people decided on their own initiative to uh, do something about their own local community and preserve it in the form of a museum. And we have very good stories about that, like two uh, ladies from a very small town near Moscow, like about two hours away from Moscow, a few years ago, discovered uh, that there is a history of forgotten taste of marshmallows in Russia, and decided to start a museum. And it was really a museum. It was not just a, a social enterprise in a classical term, because they did a research, they found historical documents, and they wanted to present this. And starting from one small museum in a local place, later on they have a strategy of local community development of the area, decided they want to open about nine museums in the area, each devoted to a different part of the history of this local town, creating new jobs for local people because everything is produced locally. And actually 
changing the whole city as such, because now it's one of the most popular touristic attractions around Moscow. So we support this kind of initiatives when coming from, I would say, just an idea, a dream, that there's something could appear, and through the several years of work, we have a completely changed environment. And that's not the only one case. There are other cases in other places when similar initiatives were developed by local people and new museums appeared. But the same applied to bigger museums as well. We, for a number of years, worked, for example, with State Hermitage, that's the most famous Russian museum. And again, when we talk about supporting their programs, we first invest in people, providing them additional opportunities to travel, to learn, to share. So it's not about giving them money to buy something, for example, for the collection, but it's a different way to invest in people, and then we have a different results in the end, because people are more interested in staying where they are, in doing better work, etc., so, Andrew, what about you in terms of illustrations of investments yeah. that you've made? Yeah, so there's a lot of parallels, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of our granting. It's really focused on giving people a voice, and that's sort of what your, you know, the, this idea of, of discovering your history and expressing it to others, and it's this sort of uh, really powerful process, and it's it's powerful for the individual. And then some of the investment is around creative placemaking, which is how you actually create the infrastructure for this voice to live and for more voices to come and for people to engage with it. And so Artscape is a perfect example. It was one of our first investments. And Artscape started by creating affordable workspace for artists. And what they found is that by doing that, they were transforming communities. And so they actually changed their mission to be about transforming communities by supporting artists and then incorporating also nonprofit organizations. And so now they're working with developers, they're working with the municipalities, they're working with impact investors, where one of them, our office is in one of their buildings, and they're completely revitalizing whole areas. And they're doing it in a way where the artists get to stay. Because one of the things that sometimes happens is after the artists revitalize an area, they can't afford to stay there. So they actually have a mission to maintain affordable live workspaces for the artists in those communities. So that's a perfect example. The, the other thing we do is uh, we invest in some loan vehicles so that uh, arts organizations can actually have access to working capital or to, um, to working funds, operating funds when they need them, just as any small business would. And, uh, and then we're really exploring and excited by the potential of media impact. How you can actually take media products for social change and really uh, just take one message and share it with the whole world and transform our ideas of things. So we've seen th this happen in, in uh, certain cases like Food Inc. or in the Al Gore film. A lot of things have been around environment. And, and, uh, and there's a lot of really interesting work being done on how to increase and measure the impact uh, for us specifically documentaries at this time, but all kinds of media. So I think that that's a really good segue as... as um, 
uh, our students are very interested in performance measures, right? Are we making a difference? Are we quantifying it? How do we know that those investments are making a difference? So if you can talk about where you are in that process of either developing indicators, thinking about how you measure success, um, where the field might be in terms of measurement, and uh, give us some insights on that. Uh, it's actually a dilemma when you support arts and culture how to measure the impact because when we talk about artistic expression it's usually difficult to use quantitative uh, criteria or indicators so uh, so how could we measure if we don't really apply in a classical terms quantitative indicators for example how many paintings appear, or how many buildings were restored, or how many exhibitions happened. So that's not an indicator we use. But at the same time, as anyone else, we really want to see the results, what kind of social impact our investments are making. So for us, we are trying to combine, uh, in a way, the different types of indicators to see the um, impact of uh, the money spent. Um, we still use some quantitative things, uh, but not alone. When we talk about quantitative, what do we mean? It's not the money spent from our side, it's more of the uh, outcomes of the projects we, we supported. For example, if it's an, a museum project, how many visitors uh, happened to come to the museum, whether the numbers were increased or not, or uh, what happened with personal careers of those curators we supported in the beginning, how the career path was developing during those years. Again, it's kind of an indicator you can see and uh, uh, compare with the previous uh, stage. Or, uh, again, if it's quantitative, um, uh, what kind of uh, tourist attractions we did support it and how many tourists come to the place. But that's definitely not enough, especially taken alone, because you still can get all those figures and they will look nice, but then the place won't change, the minds won't change, and the social impact was wouldn't be the one we really are looking for. So we also... Uh, look at personal stories and it's very important to see what actually is changing in the environment, whether uh, the project we supported reached the goals stated in the beginning of the project. Uh, again, if it's a project about local history or creating um, on the, or contributing, I would say, to creating the regional identity, like there is a project in PM City about developing regional identities uh, in, in the city and in the region, whether they manage to change the situation, whether they receive enough support from the citizens who participate in the project on a different stage, or again, talking about personal stories, whether projects continue beyond the grant period. So what the grant was for the project just beginning and then the project lives its own life that means getting the support from different type of resources from uh, local eco economies from uh, public from uh, local businesses or local authorities so that's a good indicator that the project is really needed and is developing and helping to change the communities. Or the project was just one-time event which was trying to avoid, but sometimes it could happen. But even in this case, even if it's a one-time event, 
it's also necessary to have them because they uh, release certain opportunities for people and then people get into other activities once they tried something simple in the beginning. It's, it's difficult for everyone to start with complicated projects. So we try to combine those different qualitative and quantitative methods when we talk about social impact and do research in the end after a few years of the program and operation trying to see and talk to people what is the result. Perfect. And Andrea? Um, so we, we do our evaluation really based on whichever Whichever initiative we have, because obviously you can't uh, you can't measure the impacts of a granting program the same way an investment program is done. So within our granting program, you know, we have a whole evaluation system to see how people feel about things at the beginning as they do at the end, you know, and how they progress. And if they fill out the survey, we get some answers. Um, and uh, so and and so that's the way that we are able to kind of track, and we do a lot of interviews with the people that participate in our programs, and try and track how what kind of impact it had on an individual mm -hmm. basis. Um, in terms of a sort of more national scope, so when we're, we're that's that's fine when you have very few people participating. When you have larger people, larger groups of people participating in a series of film screenings or something like that, it's a little bit harder. Uh, around the media impact, we haven't yet developed, but probably will, and are looking at developing actual uh, measurements that you can do either on or offline, mm -hmm. and you can find out how the particular campaign uh, actually affected people's attitudes and behaviors, and it's a really interesting area of work right now. In terms of the investment, that's much longer term, uh, and so you can count, you know, you can count the jobs, you can count the, what, the outputs, um, but the outcomes are longer. It takes five, ten, it's not immediate, it's sort of a slow transformation. And I have, a, you know, my favorite story about this is there's a woman named Zita Cobb that has a Shorefest Foundation, it's on Fogo Island, she's got the Fogo Island Hotel, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world, I think. And Fogo Island is far away from far away. It's a little island off Newfoundland. Zita Cobb is one of the wealthiest women in Canada, and she's become a social entrepreneur. When she was about eight, Fogo Island had a 60% unemployment rate. There was incredible social unrest. They had closed the fisheries. It was a disaster. There were 13 communities. Nobody talked to each other on this tiny island. And the National Film Board went in and... Uh, with the with the college, um, did a documentary project and interviewed all the people, and then had screenings with each of them about their opposite, you know, their different communities. And I asked, and she remembers it. Everyone from Fog Island remembers this. She actually has a theater in this incredible hotel where you can go and watch this Fogo project. And I asked her. How did this impact you? These people coming and giving your voice, this little island off the coast of New, the eastern coast of Newfoundland, where they thought that they had been forgotten. How did that impact you? And she said, "Well, it changed everything." I said, "And so, how? What do you think would have happened if it hadn't occurred?" And she said, "Vanquished. We would have vanquished." 
And so she's now one of the most uh, inspiring philanthropists in Canada. She's doing all this incredible work on her island and sort of, you know, regeneration and creating a local economy. So that's 40 years since they went there. So you have to be patient. This is, this is slow work. So any remaining words, anything else you'd like to share in terms of bridge building? Uh, bridge building and using art as a way of unifying um, in contentious political times, uh, as you pointed out, in difficult economic times, how art can be that neutral voice and uh, a way of, of creating that cultural exchange that solidifies and builds bridges. What are your thoughts on that? I think sometimes we underestimate the bridging role of arts and culture. And we usually talk about neutrality of arts and culture, but at the same time, it's more than just being natural and providing a platform for dialogue. Uh, because arts and culture helps us to develop a common language, to understand each other, not just to learn about uh, major masterpieces of a particular country or you know, to know most interesting interactions of this country or that country, but to understand people, because arts and culture is about people and not only about masterpieces as we usually think of. And this bridging role is even more important today when there are not many opportunities for us to learn more about each other. We go in, uh, into internet, we go into other means of communication, and it's more difficult to, on one hand it's more easy to communicate, but on the other hand it's more difficult because it's uh, anonymous communication, while arts and culture provides a real ground for communication, and uh, it's a way to develop a common language and a dialogue. And that's actually the reason why we support museums, because we believe that museum is a place not just pres that preserves or conserves the history or culture, but the place where people with different voices and different uh, ways of thinking could come together from different countries, from different backgrounds, come together in one place and talk freely about their concerns, about their communities, about their future. So it's the way how we connect past, present, and future. And we really should spend more on arts and culture and going beyond this traditional understanding of its role. I completely agree. I mean, this idea of a common language that's based on beauty, on, on music and beauty and expression, is uh, it, it lowers all the barriers. And in addition, once your barriers are lowered, my son said to me the other night, he's 11, and he was reading, and he was trying to go to sleep. He said, it's hard to sleep. He said, that book is so scary. He said, Mom, how can a book be so scary? And so the real power of arts and culture is that it makes you feel. And so it connects to people on a completely different level. It opens up the emotion so that then the intellectual can come in. Mm -hmm. 